0: The rift between the news and opinion shows on Fox gets more toxic with every day of impeachment coverage. Even Rush noticed.
1: You Fox really ought to change the name of the network from the Fox News Channel to the Fox Never Trumper Network. From WNYC in New York, this is On the Media. I'm Brooke Gladstone. And I'm Bob Garfield. Political historians have long held that conspiracy theories are the province of the fringes,
2: but... If you actually look at the history of American paranoia and conspiracy theories, you often find that they are very elite figures who believe in them. Things like the Red Scare were led by J. Edgar Hoover and Joseph McCarthy.
0: And a trip to Ukraine reveals a different perspective on our impeachment woes.
3: Is it okay for the president of the United States to have attorney general of the United States to call the president of Ukraine to discuss investigation? Is that okay?
4: Well, I'm not a lawyer, but I believe <laughs> I believe you
1: are a lawyer. It's all coming up after this. Listener supported, WNYC Studios.
0: From WNYC in New York, this is On the Media.
1: I'm Brooke Gladstone. And I'm Bob Garfield. Let's talk about the global conspiracy against the American president that Trump himself is always talking about. As it becomes ever more obvious that Trump's conspiracy theories drive much of his foreign relations, we thought it timely to connect the dots of his worldview. So let's begin at the beginning with a low-level foreign policy advisor in the Trump campaign named George Papadopoulos.
5: We might remember that the entire reason the FBI launched a counterintelligence investigation of the Trump campaign was because Papadopoulos drunkenly told the Australian ambassador to the UK that he had learned that the Russians had
1: dirt on Hillary Clinton. Vox staff writer Alex Ward will guide us through this dark terrain. He pays the theory's origins to April 2016 when Papadopoulos gets a tip from a Maltese professor named Joseph Mifsud about Russia's nasty intelligence on Hillary Clinton. The next turn comes a few months later when a drunken Papadopoulos tells an Australian diplomat about the tip. That diplomat tells Australian authorities, who passed the information to the FBI, which opens an investigation into Trump's campaign. From connecting such dots, the shape of a great fake conspiracy emerges. Team Trump claims that Mifsud was in fact a Western agent sent to mess with the Trump campaign. So says the president's lawyer and emissary, Rudy Giuliani.
6: Mifsud. The diplomat from Malta, who has a counterintelligence background, who planted... I mean, this information didn't
1: Thus, conspiracy out. theory number one. Mifsud is an Italian, or at least Western, agent whose mission was to send the Trump team off on a wild goose chase, and that's why the Attorney General went to Italy last week to prove it.
7: Bill Barr went to Italy last week to meet with senior intelligence officials there as part of the Justice Department's investigation into the origins of the Russia probe.
1: But there will be no proof because the Mueller investigation found that Mufsut had Russian ties but no relevant Western ones. The Trump team, unbowed, thus conjured up more conspirators. They claim the Australian diplomat was also a spy waiting for Papadopoulos to mention the Russian-based Hillary Dirt to pass it on to the feds to make the Trump campaign look bad. Trump
5: does not like that it is known that the Russians interfered in the 2016 election and did so in order to help him win, or at least that the Russians favored him. And so this is a great counter-narrative. We were being spied on that all of this was a conspiracy against Trump and that none of the investigation was legitimate from the beginning.
1: Or no, it's the British who spied, a theory Trump announced on Twitter in April.
6: A former CIA analyst on the conservative One American News Network accusing British intelligence of helping the Obama administration spy, adding, wow,
1: it is now just a question of time before the truth comes out, and when it does, it will be a beauty. Debunked long ago. But the Trump team fingers yet a different foreign election meddler. No matter that Mueller gathered enough evidence to charge a Russian troll farm, 12 Russian intel agents, and 13 Russian nationals, according to Trump, Ukraine did it to help the Democrats. How does he know? Because the Democrats hired the cybersecurity company CrowdStrike to investigate Russian government hackers who leaked Democratic emails to disrupt Clinton's campaign. And CrowdStrike is Ukrainian. Except it isn't. It's based in California. It's not Ukrainian at all. But that's one of those inconvenient truths Trump just shakes off. We know from former Trump senior officials that actually they tried to
5: dispel Trump of that notion repeatedly. Heard from the former top Homeland Security Advisor, Tom Bossert.
8: It's not only a conspiracy theory, it is completely debunked. It sticks in his mind when he hears it over and over again. Let me just repeat that it has no validity.
1: Nor does Trump's assertion that CrowdStrike harbors Clinton's email servers all those delicious top secret emails. Where are those servers?
6: They're missing. Where are they? What happened to Hillary Clinton's emails? 33,000 emails, gone. The the problem for Trump
5: here is that there actually is no missing physical server associated with the DNC breach. So how this got into Trump's head, why he feels that Ukraine would have a physical server anyway, all of this is, is very
1: unclear. Four conspiracies all pointing to one reason Team Trump is calling, visiting, and smearing Italy, Australia, the UK, and Ukraine. Four conspiracies, but when you boil it down, just a single theory.
5: That the president was persecuted, that the president's team was not at fault, and it was in fact a conspiracy by political enemies to tear down a campaign and then a presidency. And so if you're looking at the core, we have a president who is just unwilling to believe the facts as they are known and instead twist reality in order to attack political opponents.
0: Writing in The Nation this week, national affairs correspondent Jeet Heer argues that the president believes, at least in the outlines of the conspiracy theory just described. Jeet harkens back to a famous line from the 1983 movie Scarface advice to an aspiring drug lord. <laughs>
4: Lesson
0: number two, don't get high in your own supply. That's right. Lesson number two, don't get high in your own supply.
2: There's a very long academic tradition, going back to the great Richard Hofstadter, who's one of the major 20th century American historians. He famously wrote about the paranoid style in American politics. And what he said was that the paranoid style comes from the fringes, from the far left and the far right.
0: But, as he notes, Hofstadter's view has been challenged on the idea that conspiracy theories are the products only of people on the margins of power.
2: If you actually look at the sort of history of American paranoia and conspiracy theories, you often find that they're very elite figures who believe in them. I mean, things like the Red Scare were led by J. Edgar Hoover and Joseph McCarthy. And if you think about it, it kind of makes sense. Like, if you have, you know, sort of powerful people high above society, it's very easy for them to try to blame any problem. Problems on outsider groups. And that has been the tradition, just as much as there's also been a tradition of populist groups using conspiracy theories.
0: So, as you pondered the possibility that Donald Trump actually may have fallen into the same trap as Scarface and become intoxicated, you concluded that, in fact, he has.
2: Yes. I should actually qualify that a little bit by saying that with Donald Trump, the question of belief, I don't think applies in the same way that it does to other people. His view of truth is very instrumental. You know, the philosopher Harry Frankfurter made a famous distinction between lying and BS. Mm -hmm. The liar knows that they're lying, whereas the BSR doesn't care about the difference between truth and lying. So Trump, I think it's very clear from the last 50 years of his life that uh, he doesn't really care about the the distinction between truth and lies. And that makes it all the easier for him to grab onto these emotional narratives that support what he actually feels, which is persecuted. You know, whether something is actually factually true is not at all a concern. The question is, is it useful for him? And then if it is, he takes it up and it becomes part of him. The circle around him, though, definitely includes people who, like, seem to be really gung-ho about this and not in a manipulative way.
0: Let's talk about Trump's inner circle then, especially Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and Attorney General William Barr.
2: Sure. The Daily Beast had some good reporting that, like last week, the attorney general of the United States took it upon himself to go to Italy with associates to try to find these audio tapes of this professor from Malta to see if he was uh, involved in a deep state conspiracy to entrap one of Trump's henchmen. I mean, the fact that Barr is doing this, that he's going to Italy as an American public official, getting Italian intelligence and Italian law enforcement involved in this. I mean, these people are acting as if these conspiracy theories have some basis in fact and that they're carrying out an investigation.
0: You quote Julian Sanchez of the Cato Institute's tweet. He wrote, I don't want to jump to conclusions, but a lot of weird aspects of this seem consistent with Barr having gone full tinfoil hat, as in... The AG personally globetrotting to play Nancy Drew would make more sense if he decided his own subordinates are deep state agents. Sanchez is exactly
2: right this seems to spring from a distrust that Trump and his inner circle have of these permanent government bureaucracy, which has resisted many of Trump's illegal requests, and Trump interprets that as their deep state. Like, if Trump says, let's build a moat at the border filled with alligators and shoot migrants that are coming in, people don't carry that out. For Trump's brain, that seems to suggest treason. And unfortunately, people like Barr seem to go along with this mindset. Mm -hmm. There's very much The kind of bubble created by Fox News. And if you look at Barr's writing before he became attorney general, where he's supporting Trump, he gave a lot of credence to a lot of the sort of Fox News view that Trump is a president that's being persecuted.
0: Well, you see, and that's really interesting because it almost brings us back to Hofstadter in a way. I mean, if we think of conspiracy theories as being the tool of those who are marginalized, oppressed, as usually being a tool of the weak against the powerful, is the continual belief in their victimization, Trump and Barr and mm-hmm. their associates, a reason why they're resorting to the conspiracy theory?
2: That actually also explains the conspiracy theories, not just of Trump, but of earlier presidents and powerful figures like, Mm -hmm. you know, Richard Nixon or J. Edgar Hoover. Lyndon Johnson, we know this from audio tapes, believed that the anti-war movement was a communist conspiracy. And even beyond that, he believed that the North Vietnamese were the puppets of China, which was like totally at odds with Mm -hmm. reality. But I'd say even beyond that, I think that what we're seeing is the birth of a lost cause myth among Trumpists, that if Trump does go down, either impeachment and removal or more likely defeated in the election next year, there will be this myth, just as there's a myth about how the South had a noble cause and was lost. There will be this myth that Trump was going to be a great president, make America great again, and he was betrayed by the deep state. And this is what will keep Trumpism alive even after he's gone.
0: There was a piece in New York Magazine by Ed Kilgore this week musing on the word coup.
2: This is not an impeachment. This
9: is a coup d'etat.
7: This is nothing less than an attempted coup d'etat and end run around the ballot box.
5: Here is our president from just tonight. And we quote, as I learn more and more each day, I'm coming to the conclusion that what is taking place is not an impeachment. It is a coup intended to take away the power of the people.
0: Nixon and Clinton's allies also said the impeachment proceedings were coups against them. And Kilgore wrote One very common element of coup treatments of impeachment is the idea that presidents should only be accountable to the electorate, which makes his or her removal by Congress an effort to, quote, reverse election results or usurp democracy. In this formulation, Any impeachment effort is a conspiracy, any effort of Mm -hmm. the Congress to enforce its function as a third branch of government.
2: Yeah, no, that's a very interesting point. I mean, even though impeachment is in the Constitution, and it is absolutely the right of Congress, if you really believe that the president has an absolute legitimacy, and as Nixon said, if the president does it, it's not illegal, then yeah, impeachment is a coup. It goes to show that the conspiracy theory comes from a position of power, of people who have power and don't like to see it challenged, and therefore can only see any challenge to power as coming from dark, mysterious and sometimes outside forces.
0: But not just people in power. I mean, people who believe the moon landing was faked or... uh...
2: Oh, yeah. No, no. I mean, I think that there's a conspiracy theories of the weak and the conspiracy theories of the strong. And there's definitely long history uh, in America of weak and marginalized people using conspiracy theories to critique the status quo. I guess the original or novel point I want to make is that the, the strong also have their conspiracy theories.
0: Right. And so does your observation that Trump is likely getting high off his own supply, that he seems to believe the crazy stuff he's saying, does it change the way we understand him? I
2: think Trump believes what he's saying in a very precise sense that he cannot see any challenge to himself as legitimate. His ability to believe that is strengthened by the fact that he is a BSer more than he's a liar. The further ramification of this is that it'll make it much harder to get him to leave. Like, I think Nixon Mm. was a liar. And I think Nixon knew to some degree, you know, what he had done and what he had lied about. And therefore, he knew the jig was up. I think emotionally, it's very hard for Trump to know that. So I I would be very surprised if Trump leaves or, more importantly, if he ever gives up any of these conspiracy theories. Hmm. They're too valuable to him. And they're too much a part of who he is.
0: You noted that when Scarface doesn't obey lesson number two of drug dealing, don't get high in your own supply. Well, you know.
2: I think that it's actually better to be a liar than to be a bs for that reason, that if you get high on your own supply, if you believe your own lies, it's harder to pull back. It's harder to be held in check by people around you. It's harder to regain grounding in reality. So I don't see any of this going anyplace nice.
0: Well, thanks a lot, (laughs) Chi. It's a, sorry to be a downer. Jeet <laughs> here is national affairs correspondent for The Nation. This week he wrote, Trump is high on his own supply.
1: This is On The Media.
5: So here's something I bet every On The Media listener can agree on. The narrative matters. The stories we tell ourselves about our past absolutely shape how we think about our future. And that's the focus of our new season of The United States of Anxiety, a podcast from WNYC Studios. I'm Kai Wright. Join me as I investigate the unfinished business of American history and learn how it shapes everything about the 2020 election. Get The United States
6: of Anxiety on Apple Podcasts.
1: This is On the Media. I'm Bob Garfield. And I'm Brooke Gladstone. Last Sunday
0: on Fox, White House staffer Stephen Miller squared off against Fox's
10: Chris Wallace. Number one. Uh, How about answering my question? John Durham... As you know. Wait a minute. John Durham is investigating something completely different. Stephen, I'm asking you a direct question. Why did the president use private attorneys rather than go to the State Department? If you don't know, that's an acceptable answer. Wallace
0: later described the White House impeachment defenses as astonishing and deeply misleading. Elsewhere on the channel, however, the tone of the impeachment programming was somewhat different. Why won't the media...
6: Because they are covering up for the Democrats, because they are more corrupt than anyone realizes. They are covering up serious crimes that were committed against the United States by the Biden family.
0: There is a long, documented rift between the news channel's journalists and its opinionators. What's new is the ferocity flying in both directions, and what it portends for what many call state TV. Vanity Fair special correspondent Gabe Sherman dug into the seeming bedlam at Fox News, but first... I'm going to play us a little bit of the old Rush Bow.
1: And we've even got never-Trumpers now all over Fox News. Well, this uh, phone call, very hard to defend. I wouldn't want to have to defend this. There's nothing hard to defend about the phone call. You just don't want to defend it. Your Fox really ought to change the name of the network from the Fox News channel to the Fox Never-Trumper network.
0: (laughs) What do you think, Gabe?
10: At Fox News, what you have are isolated pockets of reality. You know, Shepard Smith hosts an afternoon news show that's one hour. Fox and Friends is on for three hours a day. You have the primetime lineup from 8 until 11. That's another three hours. So I think people like Rush Limbaugh are vastly overstating the level of anti-Trump rhetoric. The network has, by and large, stuck with the president. That is what the Fox News audience wants.
0: This argument within Fox has actually been playing out for quite some time. I mean, it's gotten worse in the past couple of weeks. If you think about the very public eruption just a little over a week ago between Shepard Smith, Mm -hmm. Trump's not a fan, and Tucker Carlson, first you have Fox legal analyst Judge Andrew Napolitano telling Shep Smith, that the president committed a crime.
6: It is a crime for the president to solicit
0: aid for his campaign from a foreign government.
6: So that to which the president has admitted is in and of itself a crime.
1: Yes, this is the same crime for
0: which... Then you have Tucker Carlson bringing on Another guest, Joe DiGenova.
10: Well, I think Judge Napolitano is a fool. No, it is not a crime. And even if he had said, you're not going to get the money, it would not be a crime.
0: I was... And then you have Shep calling Carlson repugnant.
10: I think we should point out, though, as I reported, that Fox executives communicated to Shepard Smith that he was no longer allowed to publicly go after Tucker Carlson on his show. So the winner of that fight clearly was the pro-trump Tucker Carlson side. What I want to stress is that it's very hard to underestimate how crucial Fox News is to maintaining the president's support from the Republican base, because you know if Fox News editorially as a network, decided to stop propping up the president, he would lose his loudest megaphone.
0: I was reading Aaron Rupar in Vox, and he noted that Trump has taken to live tweeting something called One America News Network. Your source for credible, honest, unbiased reporting from around the world. It's been reliably credulous about far-right conspiracy theories from the murder of Seth Rich. Before
4: his death, Seth Rich was investigating several cases involving the DNC's electoral fraud and was set to testify on the case of Hillary Clinton's email investigation.
0: To a California bill that would ban the sale of Bibles.
6: The California state legislature, they want to tell you how to think, what sort of books that you can read, write, and purchase.
0: Trump is saying, uh, you know, I've had it with Fox, I'm done with Fox, I'm going to hang out with One America News Network.
10: This has always been the challenge that Fox has faced since it became number one in the cable news ratings that we would see competitors try to outflank Fox from the right. One America has tried to do that. Sinclair Broadcasting is trying in some ways with local news to be more pro-Trump than Fox.
0: And Sinclair actually has extraordinary reach, unlike One America News Network.
10: Exactly, Brooke. And I think what you've just highlighted is one of the very reasons why institutionally Fox News has not broken with Trump yet. It is such a profitable business, as every day brings new revelations about the way Trump may have abused foreign policy for his own political benefit and other abuses of power. At what point do you break?
0: They told Shepard
10: Smith not to publicly chastise Tucker
0: Carlson, but we haven't heard that they've told Shepard Smith or Chris Wallace to refrain from reporting anti-Trump facts.
10: Everyone wins at Fox when you have people like Chris Wallace and Shepard Smith so publicly challenging the president because it allows Fox to showcase the fact that it is not just all right-wing talking points. It's good for the network's brand to be blunt about it.
0: If I were a conspiracy theorist, I would think that maybe all of Trump's criticism was to strengthen the Fox brand.
10: I know the White House, from my own reporting... And Trump, in particular, did not like the idea that Fox was perceived as state TV. It diminished the credibility of anything on the airwaves. And so it helps Trump politically if he's seen to be in a skirmish with Fox News, because then he can say, oh, listen, this is a, a standard news network. They're not just carrying water for me. Some of this is like WWF wrestling, where there's a sort of theatricality to the conflict. But I think at its core... There is, you know, some real power shifts happening.
0: Is this just a waiting game where the intramural sniping is meant to keep everyone tight with their constituencies?
10: Yes. And what I'm saying is that I think the prospect of impeachment, unlike the Mueller report, which was layered and complicated, impeachment is a very public very simple thing for the audience to understand. And so there are powerful constituencies inside Fox who are determined to cover the news wherever it takes them. What we saw over the last couple of weeks has been a real testing of the relationship. The sniping on air between Shepard Smith and Tucker Carlson was new, but I don't think we can firmly say if this relationship's headed to divorce court yet or not.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. You've said that unlike the Mueller report, this is a fairly simple story. But if you consider what Trump's mouthpieces are doing, what Giuliani alone is doing is spouting so many things that are meant to discredit whatever is going on. I wonder, as the situation at Fox develops, is there more or less hope for the news consumer who happens to tune into Fox?
10: Thursday, we saw the president call for China to investigate the Bidens, you know, doubling down on using our foreign policy to benefit him politically. The more the president continues to act bizarrely, you know, Fox can't stop that from happening. Yes, people like Sean Hannity can throw sand in the viewer's eyes, but... These clips will still find a way onto Fox, whether on Fox News Sunday with Chris Wallace or Shepard Smith or other news anchors who decide to cover the story in a more straightforward way. What you're seeing is an attempt to cloud reality, but they don't have the power to stop reality.
0: Gabe, thank you very much.
10: Thanks for having
1: me.
0: Gabe Sherman is a special correspondent for Vanity Fair.
1: This is On The Media.
7: On the media supported by Indeed.com. Are you hiring? With Indeed, you can post a job in minutes, set up screener questions, then zero in on your short list of qualified candidates using an online dashboard. Get started today at indeed.com slash on the media. That's indeed.com slash on the media.
1: This is on the media. I'm Brooke Gladstone. And I'm Bob Garfield. Earlier in the show, we toured through the foreign outposts of the Team Trump Worldview. Next stop, Ukraine, where a friend of ours from down the hall, Ilya Maritz, co-host of WNYC's Trump, Inc. podcast, happened to find himself just as the story began to break. In a new episode, Ilya and co-host Andrea Bernstein in New York follow a trail of corruption, investigations, and faux investigations. And they'll take it from here.
3: Okay. So should I read it first and then we could yeah, talk? Yeah, you, want so you want to read you know? it? Yeah, yeah read it. Read it. Read it in piece. It and it's you so know interesting. What, while you read it, I'll read
4: it. Dateline, yeah, Kiev, you, you Wednesday, September 25th, just after 5 p.m., local time. I'm at the offices of the not-for-profit anti-corruption action center, ANTAC. I'm with Daria Kalinyuk, ANTAC's co-founder and executive director. Oh,
8: that's
0: craziness.
4: The White that's House crazy. has just released detailed notes of a call between President Trump and Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky.
3: I'm give you a call, and I'm also going to have a turning call, and we'll get to the bottom of it. <sighs>
4: On that call, Trump asks Zelensky to, quote, do us a favor, investigate his political rival, Joe Biden. With a bright orange beanbag chair and a staff of mostly young people, Antac has the feel of a small startup. Everyone here, not just Daria, is furiously digesting the document.
3: Mm-hmm. So is it that, is that OK for the president of the United States... To have Attorney General of the United States to call the President of Ukraine to discuss investigation, is that okay?
4: Well, I'm not a lawyer, but I believe (laughs) believe you are a lawyer.
3: It is actually very astonishing to me to see that something like that is happening in the United States, from which we are trying to learn how to make democracy.
4: If you Google Daria Kalinyuk, one of the first images that comes up is a woman holding a bullhorn surrounded by police. Her t-shirt reads, F- Corruption. Today she's wearing business attire. Throughout our hour-long conversation, Kalinyuk maintains a state of outraged disbelief. Did you ever think that Ukraine would be at the center of an impeachment proceeding against an American president?
3: I would never imagine that.
0: Here's Trump, Inc. co-host Andrea Bernstein in New York.
7: A little about how Ilya happened to be in Kiev right now. For over a year, the Trump, Inc. crew has been talking about Ukraine, the role it plays for Trump and the people around him. He's taken money from Ukrainian oligarchs. His former campaign manager Paul Manafort worked there for a decade and went to prison because of his work there. Michael Cohen has ties to the country, and Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, has been making appearances in Ukraine for over a decade. We kept asking ourselves, why? What is it about Ukraine? So Ilya planned a trip months ago. And as it turned out, he arrived right after we learned that Ukraine was the country in the mysterious whistleblower report. As the story was breaking wide open, Ilya landed in Kiev.
4: Somewhere here is Paul Manafort's office, number four.
7: He went there to follow a trail of corruption that started with President Trump's campaign chief, Paul Manafort, and led to President Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani.
4: What I don't see anywhere are newspapers. Nobody's reading them. Nobody's selling them.
7: Before we begin, a note. Politicians in Ukraine routinely use prosecutions not as fact-finding missions, but as bludgeons to destroy opponents. Opponents like Darya Kalinyuk's anti-corruption group, ANTAC, supported by the European Union. Rudy Giuliani mentioned ANTAC in an interview with Chris Cuomo on CNN in September that went viral.
6: The only thing I ask about Joe Biden is to get to the bottom of how it was that Lutsenko, who was appointed, right. dismissed the case against ANTAC, so not-for-profit for called ANTAC, or
3: whatever the hell an-tac. it was, ANTAC.
7: Kalenyuk told Ilya that her group is being attacked because it's fighting corruption.
3: We are actually exposing grand corruption schemes in Ukraine. We are exposing also Western enablers of Ukrainian kleptocrats. We are painting the ass for many powerful people here, but they can...
7: In the summer of 2018, the Mueller investigation was bearing down. Rudy Giuliani, the president's personal lawyer, began talking about putting out a, quote, counter-report. That never materialized. What did happen, we know from the whistleblower report, is that Rudy Giuliani began to reach out to current and former Ukrainian prosecutors in late 2018. Giuliani was developing a counter-narrative to Mueller, arguing it was Ukraine that interfered with the 2016 election on behalf of Hillary Clinton. While he was at it, Giuliani began encouraging Ukrainians to investigate Joe Biden, and they seemed game. In the middle of this, Attorney General William Barr released his summary of the Mueller report, followed by the report itself. Days after that, a new Ukrainian president won the election in a landslide, Volodymyr Zelensky. A few months later, Trump short-circuited the normal process and personally ordered a hold on military aid to Ukraine. And then, one day after special counsel Robert Mueller testified before Congress, Trump got on the phone with President Zelensky. That's when he asked for that favor, looking into the Bidens. In September, We all learned of the whistleblower complaint. Then Nancy Pelosi announced an impeachment inquiry. Then we saw the documentation of that Trump-Zelensky phone call. And then we read the complaint. Then, it's now. There's one more thing about Zelensky you should know.
4: Before he became U.S. president, Donald Trump was famous from TV. Same deal with the new Ukrainian leader, Volodymyr Zelensky. He starred in a popular TV show about a history teacher whose anti corruption rant goes viral and propels him to the presidency. It's called Servant of the People. Zelensky's real life political party is also called Servant of the People. Here's a clip from the show it's the moment when Zelensky's character learns he's
8: Hello. won.
4: Good morning, Mr. President.
7: After communism collapsed in the Soviet Union, state-owned properties like pipelines and factories were put in private hands. Everyone was supposed to benefit. Instead, a small number of businessmen hoarded assets and became the oligarchs. Their fortunes depended, and still depend, on keeping control of Ukraine's natural resources and building monopolies and working the government.
4: This is, how, how deep is this?
7: Uh, 370
4: meters. It's incredible.
7: One big prize for the oligarchs was the largest steel mill and iron mine in Ukraine, in a town called Kriviri. It's an overnight train ride from Kiev.
4: One machine turns solid ore into glowing liquid metal at a temperature of 2,800 degrees Fahrenheit. Then it's lifted into a giant cauldron and poured into steel bars. This place is a good example of how privatization can go wrong. In 2004, the factory was awarded at auction, not to the highest bidder, a multinational company, but to two Ukrainian businessmen who put in a bid of just half as much money. One of them, happened to be the son-in-law of the president. The sweetheart deal for this steel plant caused so much outrage, it was later voided and reversed. In 2005, the mill was put up for auction again. This time, an international steel giant offered the most and won.
7: The oligarchs were unhappy. They wanted control of the natural resources. And to get that, they had to control the government. And they found just the man to help them do it, a man with decades of experience supporting corrupt leaders across the globe, Paul Manafort. At the time, 2005, 87% of Ukrainians were against the oligarch's candidate, Viktor Yanukovych. Manafort turned that around.
4: There's a term people here use for Manafort's profession. Politechnolog, political technologist. Manafort did polling. He tested messages. He got Yanukovych, who previously spoke coarsely and had assault and robbery convictions in his past, to wear a good suit, get a good haircut, and speak Ukrainian. Because he was from Eastern Ukraine, he spoke Russian. In 2010, the oligarch's man won the presidency. And Paul Manafort went to work for the new leader. He secretly lobbied the U.S. government. Yanukovych locked up a political opponent. Then Manafort hired a law firm to write a bogus report justifying her prosecution. All the while, Yanukovych was stealing massive amounts of money from the Ukrainian people.
7: The people protested. In February 2014, Ukrainians overthrew Yanukovych. He fled by helicopter to Russia. That's when Ukrainians discovered Yanukovych's otherworldly palace, the house that corruption built. Now it's a museum.
3: And yes, that's the main road to Mezhihirya.
7: The road from
4: Kiev to Mejehiria passes through a tangle of high-rise housing estates and shopping plazas. My guide is Anastasia Lazo, a tour guide based in Kiev.
3: It was really pissing people off because they were getting late.
4: She uh, learned English as a teenager in Alaska. uh,
3: That's the funny part. Everyone is laughing, like, Alaska, really, it's not in the United States. But, well, it is.
4: The grounds of the estate are vast. There's a nine-hole golf course, a huge garage for Yanukovych's vintage cars, and a laboratory where, Lazo says, the president's food was tested to make sure it wasn't poisoned. After Yanukovych fled Mezhihirya in 2014, protesters and journalists found a trove of his financial documents dumped in the water. They dried them off in the sauna. The interior walls here look like the inside of a log cabin. Almost everything else is pure opulence.
3: There's the sport complex. There's the helipad. There's the big floating restaurant. And this is some kind of water massage. This table can cost from 50 to 100,000 euros. Salt usually grows in the natural conditions in the underground caves or somewhere. But Guy wanted a salt cave here in his house. Oh my
4: god, look at this coat of armor.
3: Exactly. That's the last room. That will be the door where we get out. You can see people get out, like, in silence. At the beginning, they, like, got excited, and then, as a result, they're like, okay.
4: People do look a little stunned as they emerge into the sunshine.
7: By the summer of 2016, Manafort had a new gig. After Yanukovych, he went to work running Donald Trump's campaign. Here's an interview Manafort did in the summer of 2016 with CBS News. So to be clear, Mr.
0: Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That's what he said. That's what I said. That's obviously what our position is.
7: Manafort was the go-to for campaign interviews. Then, in August of 2016, a story broke in The New York Times. It said Manafort was paid... $12.7 million in off-the-books payments from Yanukovych's political party. Accounts of these payments turned up in a so-called Black Ledger. Three years after the Black Ledger was made public, Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani are on a campaign to question its origins and thus vindicate their since-convicted colleague Manafort and to smear their opponents and undermine the U.S. special prosecutor, Robert Mueller. To do that, Giuliani spoke to three current and former Ukrainian prosecutors, Viktor Shokin, Yuri Lutsenko, and Nazar Kuludnitsky. So remember those names, Shokin, Lutsenko, Kolodnitsky.
2: I mean, I, I listened to podcast, so, Oh, cool. Yeah.
7: In Good. Kiev, Ilya met with two journalists, Aubrey Belford and Tanya Kozareva.
9: So the way this started is, you know, I've been based in Kiev for just over a year. I'm an investigative journalist.
7: This is Aubrey Belford.
9: And I read this story in The Hill by John Solomon, who's a former AP reporter. It basically laid out this scandal where Joe Biden pressured Ukraine to fire its chief prosecutor because he was investigating a company where his son, Hunter, served on the board. And I thought, wow, this looks like a real scandal. I'm going to investigate it. And my investigation lasted for about 30 minutes because it soon became pretty apparent that the guy that got fired, Viktor Shokin, basically everyone wanted him fired. The State Department wanted him fired. European countries wanted him fired. The IMF wanted him fired. Ukrainian anti-corruption activists wanted him fired. People protesting on the streets wanted him fired. And, you know, Joe Biden did put pressure on to get him fired. But to say that he was an anti-corruption fighter, it's absurd on its face. Uh, This guy was fired for being massively corrupt and for protecting corrupt people. Uh, But when I read it, you know, two things popped into my mind, which was, firstly, this story doesn't check out, and secondly, that this story seems ideally calibrated for U.S. politics. And then Giuliani
6: goes on cable news and he says it. He says, I'm working on this. Let me tell you my interest in that. I got information about three or four months ago that a lot of the
7: Giuliani was working with Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman, two men who emigrated from the Soviet Union. Now they live in Florida. Parnas has worked in real estate stocks, consumer electronics, with a history of business disputes. In 2017, he was ordered by a federal judge to pay half a million dollars to investors in a movie called Anatomy of an Assassin. To date, he hasn't paid it. Fruman, the other businessman, has an export operation, owns hotels and nightclubs. He has a beach club in Odessa on the Black Sea called Mafia Rave. Recently, Parnas and Fruman started giving hundreds of thousands of dollars to Republican causes. Their donations to a Republican super PAC in 2018 are the subject of a complaint before the Federal Election Commission. It was Parnas and Fruman who connected Giuliani with his sources in Ukraine, those prosecutors we mentioned.
9: The ex-general prosecutor, Shokin, and
4: Shokin's successor, uh, Yuri Lutsenko. Can you talk about, like, what the general prosecutor is and does in Ukraine? Is it, like, a rough equivalent of our attorney general in the United States?
9: Prosecutors in Ukraine often act like a protection racket. Prosecutors routinely will bring... Falsified or uh, drummed-up cases against people and then drop them for money. We learn, as journalists, pretty early on, to know which prosecutors you can trust and which ones are, frankly, serial liars. The guys that Giuliani is relying on have very bad reputations.
4: Can you give me any examples?
9: <laughs> well, I mean, Shokin was dismissed by Parliament after a massive public outcry, because he was strangling off anti-corruption efforts here. Lutsenko... His successor.
7: He's not a lawyer. Tanya Kozareva.
4: He's not a lawyer? He's
3: a no,
7: he's
0: a politician
7: who just got into the office. Lutsenko has been widely accused of slow-walking corruption cases, and of cooking up cases against innocent parties who are out of favor with Ukraine's moneyed class. He denies this.
9: Giuliani's third prosecutor source is the uh, special anti-corruption prosecutor, Nazar Holodnitsky, who has himself been investigated for Collaborating. collaborating with people under investigation for corruption, telling them what the investigation has and what to anticipate.
7: Kolodnitsky was recorded tipping off suspects ahead of searches. Giuliani spoke with these current and former prosecutors, Lutsenko, Kolodnitsky, and Shokin, about a dozen times. Giuliani collected the information they gave him about Trump's political opponents and passed it along, widely discredited though it was, to the American president. We reached out to the White House, Giuliani, the three Ukrainian prosecutors, Parnas and Fruman. The only one who commented was Lutsenko, who said, without elaboration, that the whistleblower's allegations about him are false. Giuliani has been subpoenaed by the House Oversight Committee. Among the associations they're examining, Parnas, Fruman, the three prosecutors, and Giuliani's business partners in Ukraine. There was someone trying to focus attention on the corruption of Ukrainian prosecutors, the American ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Yovanovitch. She called for Kolodnitsky to be fired. She said, nobody who has been recorded coaching suspects on how to avoid corruption charges can be trusted to prosecute those very same cases. In May, Trump abruptly recalled Yovanovitch there is now no U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. This brings us to the central subject of Giuliani's campaign. It's the idea that the Democrats and some Ukrainians interfered in the 2016 election in Hillary Clinton's favor. They did this, in Giuliani's version of events, by forging a document, the so-called Black Ledger, that showed secret payments from Yanukovych's party, To Paul Manafort. Remember, Manafort is serving prison time because of the trail of corruption Robert Mueller uncovered, beginning with those payments he took from Yanukovych, bank fraud, tax fraud, money laundering, conspiracy against the United States. But Giuliani says the Black Ledger is a fake. Here's Giuliani in a May 2019 interview on Fox News, pointing a finger at a man named Sergei Leschenko. He's not the prosecutor Lutsenko.
6: Found to be involved in assisting uh, the Democrats with the 2016 election. Okay, so a let gentleman. Me I'll give you, you his name. Your decision uh, le- not to le- go. Le- let me let, let me okay. finish. A, a gentleman by the name of Lushenko Yes. Who supplied a black book that was found to be fraudulent, okay. and never used because it was a fraudulent, mm-hmm. uh, incriminating statement that was totally
8: untrue. Of course, it's not fraud. It's Real document, of course, I'm not an enemy of American government, and I never interfered in American elections.
4: In Kiev, I spoke to the man who helped to bring the Black Ledger to light, Sergei Leschenko, an investigative journalist and former member of parliament. I met him in a cafe in a hip part of the city.
8: It is part of conspiracy created by Giuliani, conspiracy theory, which is not based on relevant and real information, because Black Ledger went through expertises in Ukraine, and the expertise proved that it's a real document, and signatures of people signed this book, a real one. But to construct the conspiracy theory, Giuliani, he decided to spin this. It's fake, fake Black Ledger, and so on.
4: Leschenko is extremely tall with thick-framed glasses. He turns 40 next year. Leschenko says to promote his theory, Rudy Giuliani seized on the fact that an administrative court found Leschenko acted illegally in publicizing the Black Ledger. Giuliani ignored the fact that the ruling was overturned on appeal.
8: But it did not stop Giuliani and he continues saying this fraud. By casting
4: doubt on the Black Ledger, Rudy Giuliani is trying to rewrite history. Paul Manafort, in Rudy's telling, is transformed from a political technologist who profited from a corrupt system and cheated on his taxes into the victim of a sinister anti-Trump plot, a plot that eventually led to Robert Mueller's investigation. But if Paul Manafort's actions are obscured in America, if he's seen as a victim, Leschenko says that will have a chilling effect on the people who are pushing to make Ukraine more democratic, open, and fair.
8: — Whistleblowers or anti-corruption activists who ready to fight against the system, to provide this information. Now we'll remember what happened with people like me or like NTAC leaders who were under pressure for the last four years. And they will decide twice or triple. Should they start this anti-corruption activity or it's better to keep silence, to keep eyes blind,
4: when we started our interview, Lyshenko was rubbing his eyes and glancing at his phone. He's been doing back-to-back news interviews for days. Suddenly, it seems, the world is interested in what he has to say about graft and disinformation.
8: For me, it's another evidence that corruption is not just Ukrainian problem, but it's a global problem. And sometimes corruption, it's like a butterfly effect. Something happened in Ukraine, and tsunami happened in U.S.
4: Leschenko has offered to testify before Congress about his experience with the Black Ledger and the disinformation campaign.
7: Aubrey Belford, the reporter we spoke with earlier, says Giuliani's Ukrainian partners have been adept at mixing truth with falsehood. The result is facts that are not really factual
9: and Americans have picked it up and run with them. Whether this is a disinformation campaign that was all designed to turn out exactly as it has, I think is a little bit far-fetched. But what it does show is that this kind of stuff is currency. It's very potent currency and, you know, I mean, it worked. They wanted to create a splash with this and they have.
4: What's it like living in a place where like nobody knows what's true?
9: You know, this is a part of the world where disinformation is really like part of life. And, you know, I mean, you
0: guys are going to know what it's like soon enough. Andrea Bernstein and Ilya Meritz are co-hosts of the Trump Inc. podcast, a co-production of WNYC and ProPublica.
1: That's it for this week's show. On the Media is produced by Lana Casanova-Burgess, Michael Lowinger, Leah Feder, John Hanrahan, and Asta Chattavetti. We had more help from Charlotte Gartenberg, and our show was edited by Brooke. Our technical director is Jennifer Munson. Our engineers this week were Sam Baer and Josh Hahn.
0: Katya Rogers is our executive producer. On the Media is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Brooke Gladstone.
1: And I'm Bob Garfield.
0: On the Media
7: is supported by the Ford Foundation, the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, and the listeners of WNYC Radio.